On this episode of Investing in the American Dream podcast, we have IIUSA President and First Pathway Partner CEO Bob Kraft discussing the recent decoupling of the EB-5 Regional Center program from the Omnibus with Emily Collins of First Pathway Partners. Let's get into it. Thank you for joining us today, Bob. We are excited to get your insight on the recent decoupling of the EB-5 Regional Center program from the Omnibus. And Bob, we understand your long-standing involvement in the EB-5 industry has made you a very trusted source for insight. So for our listeners who are not as familiar with the history of reauthorization, what has the process looked like in the past and how is this reauthorization different? Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Emily. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, it's complicated. I mean, the uh, you know the program. I think those who've been involved with it uh, uh, for any period of time know it was established as law in 1990 and then adjusted in '92 to uh, it was called the uh, Regional Center Pilot Program, which is basically what we're uh, talking about today. The Regional Center Program uh, allows for a lower minimum amount if it's in a qualifying TEA. Over the years, uh, the program had been um, reauthorized many, many times, sometimes as long as five years, sometimes as long as two months. And uh, the vehicle that it would ride on typically was an omnibus spending package, which is the uh, authorization for the federal government uh, to spend uh, spend money. So Congress would uh, meet... Uh, uh, on a regular basis, and then sometimes they would authorize the full fiscal year, which ends in September 30th. Sometimes, because there were disagreements, uh, they would uh, have a extension for a couple months and then reconvene, and then another couple months, and then ultimately they'd end up till the end of the fiscal year and then start all over again. The EB-5 program uh, would many times be attached like many other bills were, to the omnibus spending bill uh, because once they agree on the spending levels, um, you know, it was easy to have that attached and people wanted to see that get done, so we would kind of ride along. In this past uh, session, um, we were decoupled. Uh, That's the word that's been used in Congress uh, because we have not been able to successfully implement integrity reform changes, which were driven by a couple of very powerful senators and felt necessary to protect the investors, to protect the regional centers, and to make the program better. Uh, and they decided, uh, and this was uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Leahy have been the big proponents of reforming the program, which they did partly through the regulatory changes that were implemented last November, which increased the minimum amount from 500 to 900,000, and also changed how TEAs were viewed. Uh, Those were major changes that both those offices felt strongly about, and they were unsuccessful in getting them in a new reform bill attached to an omnibus. So without getting into too much of the ins and outs of Washington, D.C., they decided, uh, along with some of the other leaders in the uh, Senate and in the House, that maybe the best thing to do would be to remove the EB-5 program from the omnibus and create a basically a standalone bill, which all members of Congress would have to argue and uh, voice their objections and or support of the program, 
in session and be on the record publicly. In the past, when the bill was attached to the omnibus, it only took one senator or one representative to block it, uh, and you really didn't know whether they were going to block it at the last minute or not or object to it. Um, so, you know, it made it easy to uh, stop any substantial reform to the program. So, Bob, would you say this decoupling is an opportunity for widespread support? So we're actually very, very optimistic and excited about the opportunity to get this thing finally passed. Uh, we've been going through this short-term extension game for probably 10 years. So finally, uh, we're at a place where we have an opportunity to kind of put that all to bed, improve the program, have a long-term runway that everybody understands. It'll just be great for the industry. It'll be good for the investors. Thank you very much, Bob. So you, you touched a little bit on the Grassley-Leahy bill. Regarding that bill, who is in support of that and who is not? And in addition, why is this bill EB-5's best path forward, and what can stakeholders or the public do to help? Well, Senator Grassley <clears throat> excuse me, and Senator Leahy have been you know, very uh, front and center on EB-5 and have been the leaders in uh, uh, initiating changes that would protect the uh, investors and the industry. And it's really good for the regional centers long term uh, as well. Uh, they have actually written a bill. Um, IUSA has reviewed that bill. We thought it was going to be attached to the omnibus, but it was separated because there were up a, a couple other changes that uh, needed to be made, and there were some, some groups that felt maybe it was not in the best interest uh, of the industry, but that was a, a handful of people uh, versus a majority of the uh, the House and the Senate. So, you know, that's kind of been the battle. The program over its history uh, has actually lapsed a couple times, but then be re been reauthorized a few months later. And we hope that won't be the case now. But in terms of uh, subject matter experts, uh, that, re that rests clearly with Senator Leahy and Senator Grassley the bill has been written. There's no one else that is writing the bill, although in the past there have been a number of efforts to write bills, but uh, they are uh, all over this uh, and uh, have assured us, and that's uh, the IIUSA executive officers and our lobbying group, that a bill will be introduced here shortly. They were waiting, of course, until the election was over. Uh, cabinet members were appointed. Uh, and uh, the executive orders that we expected to be issued would be issued, uh, which is all very good for EB-5 long-term. So we feel actually pretty good about where we are right now. Awesome. Thank you for breaking that down for us. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, in light of the beginning of the Biden administration, what would you say their thoughts are on reform, and would you expect any Judiciary Committee hearings? Uh, with respect to Judiciary Committee meetings, uh, I, w I would expect that's possible, but uh, it's not necessary. Um, the support for the program, uh, you know, across uh, both houses is very, very extremely strong. And uh, obtaining the majority vote to support the program, assuming that everybody's in agreement that integrity reforms are required, which how can you be against integrity reforms? So, 
We're, we're pretty confident. Uh, the bill provides for a five-year reauthorization. Um, it's, it, it'll give us some stability in terms of the choppiness of the program in the past where we've been you know, living with, in some cases, one-month extensions. That's not good for the market. And it'd be nice to clean the program up once and for all and have it on the table. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident uh, that this is going to get done. Uh, we've got a, uh, uh, a, a date of June 30th when the program would lapse if not reauthorized, although I, I really don't anticipate that uh, happening. I think we'll get there. Uh, Transitioning into uh, the newly appointed Secretary of Homeland Security joining the Biden administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, could you discuss his EB-5 program support and how his past position as director of USCIS positively impacts this industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question, and it's uh, one with a very positive answer to it. Uh, Mr. Mayorkas was director of USCIS during a period when uh, case processing was efficient as it's ever been under any administration. Uh, over the last four years, we've seen a drop-off in terms of uh, case processing, uh, some, some very troubling inconsistencies with respect to adjudication of files. Uh, but during Mr. Mayorkas' term as USCIS director, he took a very active uh, involvement in EB-5. He, he was strongly supportive of the program. He liked it very much. He was accessible. And so we were all in the EB-5 industry uh, very excited uh, when he was uh, nominated to be a director of Homeland Security and a cabinet member. Uh, and um, uh, we were hopeful that he would be confirmed, which he was uh, with a strong majority. Uh, that's going to be very good for the program. He understands it intimately. He knows how important it is. There are two other things that have happened that are really encouraging for EB-5, which I'd like to just spend a quick bit on. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, president signed an executive order that uh, everybody's trying to understand right now. It was recently released that addresses uh, immigration. And within that, uh, there's reference to employment-based immigration and the need to uh, provide more visas uh, to, we're not sure exactly whether they'll reach back into unused visas uh, or not in the importance of the employment-based category to help get the economy moving. Uh, the third thing that's very encouraging is there's been uh, recent, just uh, within the last few days, uh, communication uh, press releases from the uh, White House stating the importance of driving the unemployment rate back down to where it was uh, at the end of um, uh, 2019 before this pandemic hit because they understand that that's, that's very, very critically important. Uh, and the uh, employment-based investment categories are going to play a big part in that. So we're pretty optimistic. Um, there was also a um, reference to derivative uh, uh, treatment. Uh, differently, and that's something that I, I, USA has been lobbying hard for to remove the derivative uh, uh, piece as a count against the total uh, visas available. Along with that, there has also been discussion um, in the administration that they may increase the number of visas available. So there are a lot of things to be 
uh, uh, scene that may or may not develop, but the dialogue and the messages we're getting are very positive, and that would be huge for EB-5. So we're, we're pretty confident that uh, our program, which is an economic driver and similar to the 2008-2009 uh, financial collapse, which EB-5 helped get the country back going again, EB-5 will be a big driver in recovery from this pandemic. Thank you, Bob. And more specifically, looking into the future, how do you see this industry proceeding and how do you credit the consistent improvement we've seen from quarter two to quarter four? Yeah, after the uh, regulations were introduced, and bef actually before the uh, 900,000 minimum number went into effect in November of last year, there was uh, what you would expect a, a, a rush of people to get in at the $500,000 level. So uh, EB-5 is one of those programs that people rightfully take a long time to consider, make sure they're with the right regional center, make sure they understand the full uh, impact of a decision to move to the United States. You know, it takes a number of years. Our experience has been people people look at it for as long as five years before they finally make a decision. So those people that had been evaluating EB-5 and were on the fence, if you will, uh, understandably rushed to participate in the program at the lower level. And that cleaned out you know, big number of people that have been considering EB-5 as a viable option to come to the United States. So there was, regardless of whether a pandemic had hit or not, you had two things. You had people that had been looking at the program a long time finally, you know, kind of decided to move forward quickly to beat that uh, increased date. Uh, and so that that took away from the, the pool of potential people considering the program which you have to reload as an industry. And then you've got the $900,000. That's an increase that is significant, but it's also uh, much lower than a lot of other country programs. But if you want to call it a sticker shock or just an adjustment mentally to now you've got to pay almost double to what you could have paid before, it takes people a while to think about that and get comfortable with it. Then we had the pandemic hit. so. You had those two things that really affected negatively the program participation last year. Uh, and basically, there was no activity for the first three quarters of the year. But we began to see, in the end of the year, an uptick. Now, it wasn't a real strong uptick, but it's coming back. And I think that um, that will continue. And then once we get back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later, and people can travel, um, you will see an increase in the program, and I believe the market will adjust to the uh, the nine hundred thousand uh, over the next year or so, and we'll still still see real strong interest in the program. The United States is still a very desirable location, in spite of all the challenges we've had. I think globally we've still done as well, if not better, than anybody in handling the uh, pandemic, and our healthcare systems have done a really good job of figuring out how to handle cases and you can see that in the hospitalization rate and then now with the um, uh, vaccines that are available they seem to be kind of getting their act together in terms of accelerating the number of americans that are vaccinated that'll help so there are a lot of good things that are happening and that'll impact in a positive way eb5 but we're definitely you know going through a rough patch here 
not just with EB-5, but uh, just the economy in general. But we'll, we'll, we'll be back. Well, it's wonderful to hear that positive insight. Uh, to conclude here, I'd like to thank you, Bob, for being here with us today and for sharing your knowledge. And would you like to add anything else on this topic? Yeah, I guess uh, uh, IIUSA has been the leader and, and the consistent leader in terms of uh, support uh, in both the House and the Senate. And we have a very, very close relationship with Senator Grassley and Senator Lay's offices, and they've been absolutely terrific with us. There's a high level of trust. So we, we feel the changes that are going to be made uh, will be enhanced with some of the executive orders that have recently come through and the uh, perspective and objectives of the government. Um, so we feel real good about it. IAUSA has also just recently hired a public relations firm out of New York City to, to publish good, strong articles in um, major metro areas around the country to help support the program in terms of its economic development to all communities across the United States. Uh, so I'm very proud to be involved with the organization. We have a very hardworking uh, group that represents the industry, and we haven't stopped working through this whole pandemic. On the um, uh, first Pathway Partners Front, uh, we just recently launched another project we feel very good about. Uh, we've continued to work and we continue to uh, promote EB-5 and First Pathway Partners and we've had great success since we started in 2008 and we're very proud of our track record. So we're looking forward to a return to normal, uh, whatever that is, uh, here sooner rather than later and we'll continue to do the right thing for our investors and uh, for our communities that we operate within. Well, Bob, thank you once again for breaking everything down for us. Your um, advice and projections have been very helpful, and thank you all for listening. Thank you. If you would like to know more about First Pathway Partners, and how they can help you with a direct EB-5 investment, or if you're looking for other visa opportunities such as an E-2 visa, please contact them directly online at www.firstpathway.com.